You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. and welcome to this episode of For the Lore. Roger could not join us this week, but, well, he done fucked up because he left Joe and I in charge. How you doing this week, man? Hanging in there, my friend. How about yourself? Uh, exhausted, but upright. Yeah, that's always good. <laughs> <laughs> so this week's episode, we're covering the PSX event from this past weekend where, my God, they... Where, where did all this stuff come from? <laughs> Like, well, a lot uh, of it, a lot of it was really weird for me because a lot of it was PC games that have been out for a little bit now, too. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's pretty impressive that basically Sony has set up a six month cycle with E3 in the summer and now PSX in the winter, where as far as big announcements and games to show off, they're pretty much equal for the company. Well, it's a smart move, too, right? Because every time if a company goes too long and we see this with Nintendo a lot, too, um, you start losing hype. And when you start losing hype, people start losing interest. So Sony's kind of got this down to a science, right? Every six months, there's something to be hyped about. And that's really good for them. And and especially recently, because I know that after this event, everybody that I know at my work, every geek was talking about going out and buying a PS4. Mm-hmm. Here's how I kind of look at it. You have E3 in the summer where, as we've come to realize in the recent years, the summer is just a wasteland for game releases anymore. So E3 is like this shining beacon of hope for stuff that you're going to like. Whereas with PSX, now it's like, hey, you're playing a bunch of really cool, awesome games right now. That's fun. Here's the next thing you're going to be excited about. It's taking gamers at a point where they're already excited about the content and just shifting that excitement to new products. Oh, absolutely. It's a, again, just a smart move on their part. So the uh, big Sony keynote address was Saturday afternoon, and they started off with, of course, Uncharted 4. (laughs) I've made it clear over the last couple of years that I'm not really a big fan of the Uncharted franchise. I forgot Uncharted 4 was coming out. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thing Roger's not here. Yeah, he'd be yelling at me by this point or hung up at least but what i saw about this trailer that they showed off with drake and his brother it's really disappointing for me because i love the uncharted franchise i love the characters i love the stories i just don't like playing the actual games but this scene with drake and his brother was freaking awesome they've really kind of for lack of a better term kicked it up a bit and Roger and I are definitely fans of the series, fan of the gameplay, uh, and really because I'm a fan of that cinematic experience. And mm-hmm. every single game has just gotten progressively better as far as that that storytelling, that cinematic experience. And then you have a scene like this, and it's looking at it, it's like, just look at the difference between this and, like, promos going up for three. And it's vastly superior. Like, I was, honestly, I was okay with it. Like, I was just very happy to see it sort of, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it, just just that extra depth of character. 
it was so touching and tying it back into the first three games of, you know, giving the option of which story you want to tell them about. And this is what makes Uncharted special for me. It's not, you know, the big cinematic action pieces, which are cool. I love how they touched on it. Like you ran upside down on a train, <laughs> but I, and it, it, it makes me personally disappointed because I want to experience more of it, but I just, I, I can't. <laughs> Oh, it's not enough hours in the day sometimes oh, this, on this top of everything else. Yeah. That said, I mean, you're more than welcome to live vicariously through me because I will be playing the hell out of this game. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I watch a lot of Uncharted streams. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Like, up oh, waist high walls coming in. I can tune out for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the second big game that they had to show off was course their huge response from e3 and that's the final fantasy 7 remake i love how they started off the video with everybody's reactions from the announcement of the first one i was shocked they had this much of an actual game to show off this soon because it's square enix they're like five years ahead of schedule at the moment well and and i really like the fact that for lack of a better term they're riding that hype train um, although I did, get, they know where their money is. They know where their money is, but I got a little bit upset actually at the Final Fantasy VII stuff, mostly because of the announcement that it was going to be episodic. We'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> at first, uh, just talking about what they showed off at the actual conference, and I was actually surprised because I looked at this and I went, "Oh, cool! They're using the Final Fantasy XV engine for this game." which is smart because the major problem with a lot of Square Enix in-house productions, not none of the Tomb Raider Hitman stuff, but the actual Square Enix productions is that for every game that comes out, they develop their own proprietary graphics engine. And that's why these games take forever at this point in their company. Well, we talked about that too before where it's a very Eastern sort of game development thing. They just mm -hmm. like to make their own damn engines. But I looked at this. I'm like, okay, cool. They're using the Final Fantasy 15 engine. We might see this before the apocalypse. But then it was actually I actually found out later on they're actually using Unreal Engine 4 for this. Really? Yeah. That's intriguing, actually. You know what? Actually, that makes a little bit of sense, I think, because of the, the they're probably trying to up convert as much as possible from the old version to sort of keep the cues and scripting because mm-hmm. I, I don't imagine they do a complete build up from scratch. I no. everything I've seen is this is a complete overhaul from scratch because and this is getting back to the point you said they announced it was going to be an episodic release. Well, not necessarily episodic. We're not talking telltale. We don't know the exact release plans, but it's going to be more than one game. But they've said they're adding in so much more on top of what the original experience was. It's by the time the finished Final Fantasy remake project is out, it's going to be vastly larger than Final Fantasy seven was initially. So I think they really have to start from scratch to do that. Maybe, but, and I'm really cool with the, I'm really okay with the idea of them adding more to that experience. Uh, One of the more interesting things that I actually saw about that wasn't uh, so much, it's going to sound goofy, but it was the fan made response to them showing the intro sequence. And uh, it was a side by side comparison of the original intro sequence in seven mm-hmm. and how much different the intro sequence is in the remake. And just the difference was just jaw dropping. And they added a lot of stuff into it as well, not just because of better graphics, but the scene now flows better. There's voice acting. There's actual, you know, stuff to pay attention to other than some guys run out from a train and, you know, flip over some things and 
punch some people out. Yeah, they did a good job of balancing, making it immediately recognizable as what it is, because the actual scene itself is unchanged. It's just the way the scene progresses and the way we view the scene that has changed. So they kept everything that made the original what it was, but went, okay, it's been 20 years. We can do this better now. Yeah, and and I'm happy that they're doing that because so many so many game companies take that they fail to take the opportunity to do that, and they have a good chance to do that here. And I'm happy to see that they're they're following through is really it's, what it is. It's kind of like when they remade Psycho a few years ago, and it was basically just a shot for shot recreation. I'm like, well, what's the point then? Yeah, it's boring <laughs> at that point. I, I can watch a better version of that movie though. <laughs> that already exists. Now, that's not to say I don't love exact remakes or remastered versions. I mean, Grim Fandango is still one of mm-hmm. my favorite games of the remastered it, version. That, that's, that's, that's a remaster. They didn't completely exactly. remake the game. Yeah, there's a, there's a big difference there. Fair enough. But as far as the, I, I can't call it episodic, but broken up release, like there's... There was, of course, an immediate backlash of going, oh, my God, what are you doing? But there's been a lot more information that has come out. I have my reservations. <laughs> First and foremost is, will the game ever be finished? <laughs> yes. But, and, and now hearing them talk <laughs> about how, well, they're not just, you know, breaking up the game into chunks and releasing it. You know, they want to expand upon the original. Starting to sound a little like George Lucas to me <laughs> at the same time of we know we can do better, which... On one hand, yes, I'm sure they look back and go, okay, we can do better. But at what point do they stop doing better and just making their own game instead? Well, and it's a really good point there. There's a a decent chance that they just kind of get caught up in the whole process of remaking and making things better that they lose sight of the original project and it just kind of gets away from them. We've seen that in the past with other games as well. Uh, that have tried that and just failed to ever be a thing. So I'm hopeful that they will not fall into that trap, but only time will tell. And they have come out to say that when the pieces are released, basically there's going to be enough content in each individual release to equate to a full game on its own, which if they can deliver on that, if they're delivering a proper amount of content for the money they're charging, I can't complain about that. And to be perfectly honest, they have some natural breakpoints already in the original game. Like even just between discs, you have these these big crescendo moments, so to speak, these these apexes at the end of each disc. You have perfect breakpoints. And if you expand the in-between parts, absolutely, I can see those being their own sort of game, I guess, would be the best way to phrase it, like their own self-contained game uh, that then ties in with everything else. And, I, you know, honestly, I'd be okay with that. It's funny because going back to the Final Fantasy 13 argument of how it was so linear, <laughs> Final Fantasy 7 was the game I always used as the example of, well, Final Fantasy 7 is just as linear. It just makes you feel like it's not. So <laughs> taking away a lot of that at least perceived ability to go anywhere and, well, no, okay, that's not in this game. You're going to have to wait a while to get there. It's, it's kind of interesting, but I, again, if the content is there for the money. I I can't complain about it. My only concern is they've also said that it allows them to like tweak and change up the gameplay. And at that point it stops being an RPG to me. If 
each release has its own mechanics or your characters don't quite carry over the same way. It stops being one cohesive experience and instead it's Final Fantasy VII Remake and its sequels. So I read that or at least I listened to that and took away from that that they're looking at an overarching tweak of it just in general. And I really hope that I'm right on that because if they start changing it between each release of the game – I know a lot of people that are just going to lose interest very quickly, and I'm going to be one of them. I like that sort of consistency. You want to throw a whole new system at me? That's fine. But I have personally, I have a problem. When I start to play a game, I kind of map out in my brain how to use the controller or the controls. And if you start changing it between them, then I have a problem because then my body's just like, I don't know what to do. I'm flailing. Whoa, oh, God, what is the system? And it kind of gets me out of the mood to play that game. So. I'm hoping that it's just an overarching thing where they looked at the original and said, you know what? This was fine for what it was. We can make this better and just it's better all the way through and consistent. That's what I'm hoping. I I would hope so as well. As we've seen from the trailer, the battle system is obviously very different. It looks a lot more like Final Fantasy 15's battle system, Mm -hmm. which I'm not a huge fan of, but I think that just has more to do with the fact that Final Fantasy 15 is altogether less interesting. You know, maybe you take that same system and mix in, you know, the variety of characters and the magic and the materia and stuff, and it could be a, a little more interesting at least. But that all remains to be seen. Well, and it's a really good test of it. If it is the same system of uh, as 15, looking at what everybody thinks, or at least a large chunk of people think, uh, is a very interesting and well-loved story with a very well-loved set of characters and a very well-loved set of just in like just minutia that, that people love and then take all of that, that content and shove it into that system. And if it works great, then I'm okay with the, the final fantasy 15 system. If it doesn't work with that, I'm not really going to be confident about final fantasy 15. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you were to release a game in 2015 with that original battle system intact, but also having made all the other changes to the game, I think it would be really awkward. So there does need to be an enhancement on the battle system. Oh, absolutely. All right, then moving away from Final Fantasy, anything to say about Call of Duty? Not really. Another game, another game I won't be playing. (laughs) What about Star Wars Battlefront? I still haven't touched the game, but it exists in your house. It does. In fact, it is currently inside of the Vader etched PS4 that is sitting no more than two feet from me. Uh, I've kind of goofed around with it a little bit. Nothing too major. It's fun. Um, I don't like the the lack of a single player campaign offline, mm-hmm. uh, but I can kind of forgive that a little bit in this day and age where it just a little bit. It's fun enough that I don't really notice. Um and I do like the fact that when I Renee put the uh, the game in for the very, very first time, as it's downloading its updates, it teaches you about the game system by letting you go around as Darth Vader and ch- force choking motherfuckers. That's awesome. That's it's, pretty cool. It, yeah, the controls are actually pretty tight. Um, they, they're a little more responsive than previous Battlefront games. The graphics are absolutely phenomenal. The audio quality actually is surprising to me. Um, Battlefront games have not exactly had the best audio quality because it's just explosions and lasers and, you know, stuff like that. And they there's just, so much going on, there can't be a whole lot of fidelity. 
But now there is. And that's one of those weird things. Like it's they went to the drawing board and they actually added a sort of depth of sound that has been lacking from the previous games. So that's layered really, really well. And whoever did the audio engineering for this game, kudos to them because they actually did it right. It doesn't just sound like a cacophony of chaos. It's pretty well defined. Like things actually sound distinctive and without being overwhelming, which is a really, really good trick for them to pull off. Mm -hmm. And then the new Battle of Jakku uh, free DLC was out this week, right? Have you guys gotten that yet? Have not gotten to play around with that yet. I know it's automatically downloaded and updated. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're nerds. We know what we're doing. Yeah, good stuff. All right. And then we got Battleborn. And I know this game is a favorite of yours so i'll shut up for a minute so here's one of those weird moments i've i've talked about overwatch and how i'm not exactly a fan i've gotten to play the game and it's boring to me like it's just the game modes don't work the characters are very very overpowered in certain aspects and some just suck um it's not a very polished game and i understand that it's still a beta that's great here's another game though that is in that same exact vein Not only is it the same exact vein, I've played in the beta for this game. It is polished. The controls are tight. The characters are incredibly well-balanced. The game modes are crazy. They have a big-ass robot mode where basically you're just trying to bring your big-ass monster to bear on the other person's big-ass monster, and it's fantastic. Cool thing about this as well is it has a comprehensive story mode and a co-op story mode so you can play by yourself and play with a friend and it's not that you have to go somewhere else or consume outside content in order to get the story they make sure that there is a story inside of the game animations are fantastic the art is great i have zero complaints with this game and honestly this is what i wanted overwatch to be this is a must buy for me just from playing the beta it has sold me 100 on this game Cool, because I've actually heard a lot of chatter online of people disappointed that it's not a free-to-play game because it's the type of game people expect to be free-to-play. It's it's a lot of the same pushback Overwatch got. Like, well, this is normally a free-to-play game. Why isn't this one? And you're getting a lot of the same with Battleborn just without the, oh, well, it's Blizzard attached. Yeah, and, and I understand that sort of – that it's a t- first-person shooter team-based game, but if you look at it – they're putting a lot of content in here. There's oh, a ton of heroes. There's a ton of maps. They've already talked. I believe they've already stated that like updates are going to be either free or like major, major ones are going to be minimally priced later on down the line. They don't have any intention of nickel and diming their player base. They're really interested in making sure that they keep their players happy. And I'm okay with that too. This is something if you haven't had a chance to to try it out out there, folks, Sign up for the beta. Go to the websites, look up Battleborn, Google it. It's the first thing that comes up. Sign up for the beta, whether it's PC or PS4. And I believe it's also on yeah, it's on Xbox One as well. Sign up for it. They do beta weekends all the time. They do invites. I think there's an another beta coming up soon too, where they're gonna push another series of invites. Try it. I feel from what I've seen so far that this is actually worth the money. And that's that's saying a lot from me when I hate spending money on those types of games. I actually think this is worth the money so far. And also, as comparison, unlike Overwatch or League or Dota or Paragon, which we'll come around to later, this game has a fully fleshed out single player story campaign Mm -hmm. 
which I mean, that's what they're leading with, which is smart. They can't put this game out there just based on its mechanics because people will look at it and go, oh, okay, that's the type of game it is. So they're leading with it's a story game. It has a campaign. It has a word that everybody other than Gearbox has forgotten in couch co-op. Yep. And they're really smart about how they're marketing it. I just hope it finds an audience because God damn it. I'm playing Toby. <laughs> okay. It's okay. funny. When when Blizzard showed off, you know, their new characters a little while back, I looked at Diva and went, awesome, because she's a mech pilot. Well, here's Toby. He's a mech pilot. He also happens to be a homicidal penguin. Yeah. yeah. How could you yeah. not love a homicidal penguin? <laughs> it's actually really funny. Over the last couple of days, uh, the Battleborn Twitter account and the XCOM Twitter account have been going back and forth over who's cooler, <laughs> Toby or the Mech Troopers. <laughs> That's awesome. Listen, guys, as much as I love XCOM... Toby's the best. <laughs> well, and that's a, and that's another thing that I want to point out too about uh, Battleborn is that their character designs are varied in a, such a way that each one feels very unique, even just from a, a visual standpoint. Uh, and I think that's really cool because in a game like this, where you're going to have what is essentially your main character having something that's visually interesting and distinctive from the rest is fantastic. Personally, I kind of like Marquis. Uh, because I don't know about you, but shooting things as a fancy fucking robot seems really goddamn cool to me. <laughs> and that's the cool thing. Like you look at, you know, again, a traditional game like this, and we're going to use Overwatch as the example, just because it's the most visible competitor. You look at Overwatch and I go, okay, I'd play D.Va, maybe Reinhardt. And, you know, you pick, you key on like two or three characters. I I cannot even begin to pick a character in Battleborn because they're also vastly unique, not just from each other, but from what we've seen anywhere else. I want to try all of them immediately. Oh, absolutely. And again, I'm I'm just impressed with how much and and I was like this before I tried Overwatch too, folks. And I know some people are gonna be like, oh, you just didn't like Overwatch, so you're latching on to this game. No, I'm not. Like, I've been watching this game for a long time, and this is absolutely just... They've been delivering on every single promise they've been making so far. They're doing all sorts of things to try to give you incentives to pre-order it. Uh, they're doing a good job pushing this, and I'm okay with it. Like, they're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Thank all you, right, leading in. <laughs> Next up, we had Street Fighter V. And oh, this Roger's is not man. here, so I get to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, their big reveal here was the final playable character in Fong. Fong. It, it's spelled Fang, but they pronounce it weird. <laughs> it's also all in capital letters. With It's an acronym. I, I don't know. <laughs> this guy is weird as shit. Like, I looked at this and I go, Capcom, you messed up and put a Guilty Gear character in Street Fighter. Because this guy is just wild out there. His gameplay looks interesting, though. But to bring it in with For the Lore. We're finally seeing the story progression here in Street Fighter. And one of the big things that has happened in the, the story of the series is you think back to Street Fighter 2, you had Bison, Sagat, Balrog, and Vega. They were the, the four leaders of Shadowloo. Well, Sagat left Shadowloo, and he's kind of become like a folk hero in Thailand now. And now we're seeing Fong is the person who's replacing him as one of the Shadowloo lieutenants. They even showed off the stage with the four... Uh, giant like Mount Rushmore heads of Shadowloo and he's in there. So now we're finally seeing where this and 
Capcom is staying so tight-lipped with the story. They're not telling us a thing going in. They promise us that there's going to be a solid story mode in Street Fighter V, which is exciting for me and the two or three other players in existence who actually play Street Fighter for the story. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's cool to see. They also showed off, well, not showed off, confirmed the six DLC characters that are going to be out uh, throughout the year because now they're treating Street Fighter V as a service. There isn't going to be a Super Street Fighter V, an Ultra Street Fighter V. It's going to be one game, and they're just going to add to it like every other game does in the year 2015 with six well, characters yeah, coming out next year. They saw, the, they saw the way that Killer Instinct actually was very successful with it, and they said, well, we can do this with Street Fighter, and I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. And also what they've done with Street Fighter is they've implemented a fight money system where if you're good enough at playing the game online, you don't have to pay for the characters. You just earn enough credits in-game to do it, kind of like uh, you know Gold and Heroes or Hearthstone and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'm really okay with that too because I, I like the idea of giving players that option so if you don't have the money to go spend on it, you don't have to. You're not you're not forced to. You're given that ability like you play enough, you do well enough, go ahead and just spend the in-game currency. That's a system that I really 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 enjoy because I'm a cheap bastard. I like being able to spend in-game money. That's okay mm-hmm. with me. And and also just looking at it compared to their previous releases of you know, I really love Jury. She's my favorite character in Street Fighter 4. Really excited. She's one of the DLC characters coming to Street Fighter Five. Don't tell Alicia. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, if I had to pay forty dollars to upgrade from Street Fighter Four to Super Street Fighter Four to play as Jury, there was a bunch of other characters in there I didn't give a shit about. But and, and it's a huge difference for Capcom, and I mean, it's smart of them to finally take this step because aside from Killer Instinct, there's still no other fighting game that's doing this. You know, Guilty Gear still has its segmented releases. Uh, We'll see with King of Fighters or Tekken coming up, but typically they don't have expansion packs. They just wait a couple years and release a whole new game. So uh, we'll we'll see where it's going. Yeah, and it would be it would behoove, I think, the fighting game industry to maybe look more at uh, that style of release as opposed to just various different releases every couple of years. One, probably going to be cheaper for you in the long run Two, keep your players happy and keep them playing probably generate a decent amount of money for you continually as opposed to maybe this next version will be good maybe it won't yeah there's not going to be that fall off of you know every time a new version releases a chunk of your player base just disappears because they're not Mm -hmm. buying the new version yep all right then we got into like the indie game segment and one of the ones that really caught my eye here was dead star did you really look at any of the uh, details on this game no i didn't it's a top-down, like, space shooter type game, which, you know, in and of itself, okay, cool. But I was doing some reading up on what the game actually is. And you're in, like, this far-off sector at the ass end of the universe that has been set aside as basically a prison. There's a prison riot. Everybody breaks out and tries to get out of there. But there's still this incredibly powerful defensive system at the edge of the system probably wasn't the great uh, terminology to use there, but it's accurate. <laughs> That's preventing any of the prisoners, no matter how you know fancy they are, they can't get out unless they have the technology to get there. So it's this PvP-based system of these two warring factions. Each faction has individual players on it. And you need to go out there. You need to win fights. You need to win battles to eventually get yourself a ship strong enough to jump out of the sector which is cool. 
once you actually get that capital level ship with a warp drive and you get enough NPCs that you've recruited to man the entire ship and, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get out of the shithole. When you make that jump, it doesn't just jump you out of the system. It jumps you into another game with other players where now the other players get the alert of, holy shit, there's a capital ship we can use to get out of this hellhole. Let's go attack it and steal it from the guy that just got there. So if you're the player with the capital ship, you now have to defend your resource for enough jumps to get out of the system to essentially win the game. And then you get all these fancy prizes and it's kind of like a a roguelike almost where now you have all this cool shit that you can jump into a new game and start from scratch again. Well, and the roguelike aspect is something that I was reading up on just a little bit is that each of the battlefields as well is procedurally generated. Uh, which I think is kind of cool because one of the problems that I have with a lot of PvP style games, uh, even of this nature, is that the battlefields never change. So it gets boring. You know where to go. Uh, you know what to do. You know what to say, like to, to set up your ambushes and stuff like that. Here, though, it's much more of an organic, dynamic play experience. And that kind of appeals to me because I don't want to just go into a PvP game and be like, oh, I'm on the blue side today. That means that I'm just dead, which happens a lot in other pvp looking at you wow (laughs) uh so i mean that really that's really kind of cool to me because the other team is just as in the dark as you are and that's fantastic Mm -hmm. all right moving on from there we got a bunch of the adult swim games which coming from what we've expected from adult swim just weird shit you know very simple games but fun to play yeah yeah there's a lot of weird stuff in there headlander is just it's so ludicrous, I have to try it. That does seem like a you game, let's be honest. <laughs> but then we get into the Double Fine segment, where they showed yes. off their progress that they've made on the Day of the Tentacle remaster, which I forgot they were doing because we haven't heard about it since last year's PSX. Oh, God, they've been allowed- so quiet, too. I know. It allowed me to get excited for it all over again because Day of the Tentacle while not the first game of that, you know, LucasArts adventure brand, if you will, was definitely the most influential of the bunch. So it's cool to see that out there for a whole new generation. I but got my purple tentacle ready to go. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Joe, this this is a family podcast. Put that away. Fine. I got stupidly excited when Tim Schafer came out and they played the music full throttle. Yes, because of all those LucasArts adventure games in the early 90s, by far my favorite was Full Throttle. And I will absolutely play the hell out of a remake. Oh, absolutely. It's a must have. They weren't done yet, though. No, 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 they weren't. Because we got the announcement that they're thinking about working on Psychonauts 2. Yeah. Now, Psychonauts is... A phenomenal game, a genre defining, groundbreaking for what it was at the time. Highly recommend anybody goes out there to check it out because it's a fantastic game. So, of course, we got really excited for the announcement of Psychonauts 2. But being Double Fine and Tim Schafer, it was the announcement of a funding campaign, which they're not using Kickstarter this time. They're using a new system and it's, it's a whole thing. And as excited as I am for this, as we've seen with previous crowdfunding ventures, Double Fine kind of questionable company to put your money behind 
Sometimes, yes. Uh, I'm actually very surprised that as of right now, the campaign is at $1.8 million. So they're going to hit there. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if this number gets to the $10 million mark. So I don't know. I really, really, Double Fine, if you just buy some magic, magic, magic happenstance, happen to be listening to this, don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. Not with Psychonauts. Give it to me. Make it happen, please. But another game they showed off, which I believe is aside from the whole funding campaign, I think this is a game that's just actually happening, is the Psychonauts in the Rhombus of Ruin, their VR game. And oh, yeah. I wish Roger was here now. I was going to say, it's a, that's a Roger game. Course, I, you know, I can only imagine Psychonauts in VR. And okay, let me let me rephrase that. I could only have a fever dream about Psychonauts <laughs> in VR. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually really looking. Everybody who's been listening to the podcast, I'm not a big proponent of VR. I'm not a fan of it. This could be a game that forces me to reevaluate my stance on that. This might actually be something that forces me to take that plunge and say, all right, fine, I'm good with VR now. Let's, let's just give me more Psychonauts. Mm-hmm. And we got into some of the other games that have been out for a while on other platforms but are coming to mm-hmm. uh, Sony now with Invisible Ink, Don't Starve Together. We got these other two, or, or yeah, other two, Zodiac or Canon Odyssey and Hitman <laughs> Go. But, or Canon Odyssey, like, it looked really cool, but then I looked at it and went, oh, that's what they're using the PS Vita for now is taking Android and iOS games and porting them over to the Vita. Yeah, it's which, a little I mean, disappointing. I mean, it, that. It's a lot disappointing. <laughs> it is, but it makes a lot of logical sense um, because I don't, the way the industry is moving as far as handhelds go, not a whole lot of people are gaming on their tablets when they're out there or their, their phablets as much as they used to. Trying to capitalize on the Vita with the built-in controls and everything like that, I understand why they're doing it. may not agree with it, but I understand why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. We also got to look at Brawlhalla, which I looked at it and went, oh, awesome. It's Smash Brothers without Nintendo. Yeah, th- so I've been playing Brawlhalla for a while. <laughs> um, it actually went into open beta uh, last month, about actually almost exactly a month ago, a little bit over. Uh, you can play it for free. It's actually, if you want to test it out and you have a computer, you can play it for free on Steam uh, and kind of get an eye for it. But it's fantastic. It is quite literally Smash Brothers, but without Nintendo involved in all original characters. And there's some weird shit in there, man. There's weird aliens. There's pirate captains. There's uh, a minotaur. There's a weird space yeah. knight thing, Vikings, Onis. There's a caveman. There's all sorts of cool stuff, and the gameplay is actually really tight, and the controls are actually surprisingly good. So if you're a fan of Smash Brothers, this has actually been, at least on the PC, uh, heralded as what could be the next big type of platform arena game besides Mm -hmm. Smash Brothers that is actually worth a damn. Yeah, because saying Smash Brothers without Nintendo, it's both a positive and a negative. Yes, on the one hand, there's no Mario, there's no Yoshi, but on the other hand there's everything else that Nintendo can't do in Smash Brothers. It gives them more range to be creative with their characters, and that's definitely something cool. Yeah, and there's, you know, blood and guts and all sorts of genre bashing, and it's, again, worth the time for you to check it out, worth the time to download it and give it a try. Just my two cents. I will probably be picking this up on the PS4, simply because as much as I love uh, my computer, the PS4 controller is a lot easier on my hands. All right. Have you played any of the Yakuza games? Nope. 
I didn't even know they were up to five, <laughs> but people were really excited for it. And that's cool. But now I look and go, okay, maybe this is a series I do have to look at because they showed off Yakuza Zero, mm-hmm. which is just ridiculous, over the top Japanese mid 80s nonsense. And that got my interest. <laughs> so, like, no more heroes, but like, better? You know, based in a, something that's at least theoretically the real world. Yeah, bright lights, neon, bad music, bad outfits. I'm interested. Okay. All right. I'm okay with that. <laughs> we got a bit more fighting game stuff. Uh, the Last Blade 2 is coming west. An old school SNK fighting game from like the late 90s. Yeah. Wasn't but it originally like Heart of the Samurai or something like that? I, they, there have been so many different variations on the samurai showdown formula from snk it's hard to keep track but those late 90s snk fighting games were amazing just nobody played them because nobody had a system that could play them exactly yep because we're also getting king of fighters 14 coming out and modern snk games really aren't my thing and looking at king of fighters 14 it's such a huge change because they're finally going into sort of pseudo 3d graphics after holding on tooth and nail to their 2D aesthetic, but it just doesn't look as exciting as the previous versions did. Yeah, I'm not sold on the whole 3D thing, honestly, for it. I don't think it's, um, I don't want to say I don't think it's worth it, but I I kind of would have almost wished they would have kind of stuck to their 2D roots a mm-hmm. little bit. It's going to be interesting to see how this works out because King of Fighters in modern day has never been terribly successful in America. Mm-hmm. It's been super popular in Japan, Korea, and especially South America. Like the Mexican and Brazilian players love King of Fighters. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they react to this one. Well, we'll see if it's a warmer reception. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We saw quite a bit more of a game. I think it was announced at E3, Neo. And it's the new game from Team Ninja that yes. basically went, okay, Ninja Gaiden was cool. But what if you were just a badass samurai instead? And holy crap, I want to be a badass samurai. <laughs> of course you do, because if you can't be a ninja, be a samurai. Well, I couldn't be a ninja. That game was too fucking hard. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, you suck at video games? I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe Alicia will beat it for you. I mean, I, I, I don't know. But just seeing this guy going through and he's got the katana, he's got the bow, he's got the lance. Like this guy is strapped, armored up, just looks like an absolute badass. The gameplay looks solid as hell because it's Team Ninja. They excel at making gameplay work. It looks fantastic. It nails that Japanese aesthetic. And I love Samurais. My one complaint, and I'm hoping that it's just because it's an early build, is that there was a lot of artifacting and tearing in the mm-hmm. stuff that I saw, um, which really worries me because as awesome as the gameplay is going to be, they've had problems with that in the past, and I'm kind of curious if it's going to happen again. It's a very stylized world. There's a lot of weird things going on. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of shadows. And every now and then the world kind of tears and does some weird things. And the way that the interface overlays with the world uh, is also really interesting where you can see uh, if there was a uh, they showed off the five minutes of gameplay at one point, And there was a sequence where you're running past all these things you can interact with. 
and the interface comes up as you move past it and then goes off in these weird angles depending on how your camera moves. And that can be very, very awkward very, very quickly. And I can also see potentially uh, people with motion sickness getting a, a little bit of a, a problem with that. That said, there is also the really cool aspect of lighting your sword on fire by summoning the fire fox spirit and just going to town on everything around you because samurai. Yeah, that's the game I want to play. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got a bit more stuff. Uh, Bastion is coming to Vita. We talked about enough about Bastion. I think we can <laughs> skip that over. Uh, we got uh, the what the heck is the name? I forget the name of the company, but you know the Bit Trip Bundle, Nuclear Throne. Brutal, however, looks cool as hell. It's that old uh, rogue <laughs> game where it was an entirely made out of ASCII symbols, redone as a modern day, you know, full third person experience, but keeping the ASCII symbols. Yeah, How has nobody actually- thought of that before? <laughs> it, actually, there have been a few other games that have done that. They just haven't really done uh honestly really that well so they've been trying to do like this weird like 2d 3d ascii sort of mapping uh where you're controlling like drones before but this this is freaking amazing it's like tron reborn with cooler Mm -hmm. shit it's it's absolutely one that i'm excited to see where it goes because it's on one hand it's such a unique concept but on the other hand you go why did it take so long for this to happen? Because it looks freaking awesome. And any old school PC game players will look at this and immediately be excited. Oh yeah. And I'm going to, I'm absolutely 100% going to be playing this because if nothing else, I'm a huge gauntlet fan. And what they're Mm -hmm. showing is gauntlet style gameplay with a weird nerdy computer graphic, like computer influence graphics Yes, please sign me up. You've hit all of my buttons. Let me smash them so I can blow things into eight bits. At the very least, it can't be worse than the last Gauntlet game. Sadly, that is a true statement. (laughs) We got Fat Princess Adventures. I never played the first Fat Princess, did you? No, I did not. I know it was a huge thing. People are excited for it. I look at this game and I go, eh, okay, I'll pass. Yeah, not my cup of tea. Like, it's one of those things where I acknowledge that people will enjoy it me not so much Mm -hmm. we got a look at ratchet and clank they're really hyping up the ratchet and clank movie coming out next year i still haven't seen a trailer for that though which is a little disconcerting at this point yeah Yeah. but then they showed off the new ratchet and clank game which is essentially a remake of the original yeah i've been informed that come hell or high water we have to have that game in the house so we're gonna have that game in the house oh cool enjoy it <laughs> i i wonder what sort of success a you know mascot platformer can get in 2015 because it's not a game companies put out anymore and i don't know if it's because there's no market for it or people have determined there's no market for it because the genre was driven into the ground so much in the 2000s so i have a theory on that actually i think it's a little bit of both i think that game game companies sort of drove that into the ground by going to war with each other as they did And I think the other part of it is just that there was only so much they can do. And I'm hoping that they went back to the roots because Ratchet and Clank was a freaking great game back in the day. Let's let's be honest. It was not like the shitty sort of like I forgot the hell that 3DO one was uh, 
something wicked gecko or whatever it was. Gex. It Gex. Yes. It wasn't <laughs> wasn't that weird piece of shit. It was a really good platforming game. And if you took out the aspect of it being there a mascot platformer and just being a platformer with a character, it it's works really, really well. And I'm really excited to see how this this kind of takes off. And I'm hoping that it will, because look at games like Mario Maker. And I understand it's slightly different, but Mario has always had a presence. And yes, he's the icon of Nintendo and he's the one that sort of started the whole mascot war if you really wanna really wanna go back to it. But at the end of the day, I think that's like a hole that we can fill in games like Oh God! Why can't I think of the 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 spiritual successor to Banjo Kazooie that's being done now? Ukulele, uh, ukulele. How quickly that was funded. There's a real desire for people to play these games again, and I think that they'll do. I think this is going to do surprisingly well. I'm, I would almost put money on it. I think a lot of it, though, is the people who played them back in the day, who played Banjo Kazooie, who played Jack and Daxter, Ratchet and Clank, Crash Bandicoot, of now going, I would like to play that game again, and that's cool. But there's that audience alone isn't enough. They they need to capture the modern audience who didn't play any of those games at well. And we'll see if it's going to happen or not. Well, and it I think it's going to rely a little bit on our generation who happen to have kids or family yes. that are the next generation saying, hey, let's play this together or you should try this game or whatever the case is. It's worked in the past. It's worked with some of the classics. Good games. It just works with. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we got into Roger's favorite segment of the PlayStation VR. VR. Yeah. Whole lot of really cool stuff here, I got to say. Like, uh, Res in VR is going to be insane. Eagle Flight looks, you know, just a cool-ass VR experience. Then we got stuff like Golem. Which yes. I saw the trailer and I went, that is a really creative use for VR. Where you play a character who is... I'm assuming blind and you're controlling this giant stone golem through some sort of magic. That is a cool VR experience. Yeah. And that's something that intrigues me a little bit because the problem with VR is I look at it and to me, it's one giant gimmick right now. And let's be honest for a lot of games that are going to come out. It is, you have to offer me a unique gameplay experience for me to really kind of latch onto it aside from Psychonauts, because I'm just a stupid fanboy. But this here is such a cool concept to me that I'm willing to try it based on the concept alone. And I think that's really kind of nifty. And we also got Ace Combat 7, which I'm sure is going to be really cool in VR. And what I'm calling the greatest game ever made. And I'm excited. It's not (laughs) going to be VR exclusive because I absolutely want to play 100 foot robot golf. (laughs) Really? You don't want to play job simulator? Because that seems pretty cool, too. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Okay, but 100 foot robot golf. (laughs) This is what Pacific Rim 2 should be, right? Sure. I mean, all the kaijus (laughs) are gone, so why not? Got to use these robots for something. And a trailer of them with the corgi in the VR. <laughs> yes. Well, what I what I love about this though is like just watching the trailer. It is one hundred percent straight up homage to like giant eighties and nineties robot movies and video games, and I just love it. Plus, you know, one of the robots has a giant pompadour hairdo. Hairdo, so you know. <laughs> 
All right. And then we get into the tail end of the show, which is just hold on to your seats. Holy crap. Here's a bunch of awesome stuff we're going to show you. They showed off the latest update for Destiny the Taken King, which went live yesterday, I think, because I know people on Twitter have been playing it. The Sparrow Racing League. So for anybody that's uh, not listening to this later, that is December 8th and went live. Yes. And I went, oh, my God, this is great. I need to start playing Destiny again until I found out it's like a limited time event, just like the Iron Banner. So if I don't pick up the game now, who knows when I'll get to play the Racing League again, which is kind of disappointing for me. But holy crap, this looks awesome. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I think they're going to the success of it because it's got a really big positive response. I think they're not going to say goodbye to it forever. I think they're going to. Oh, no, to it, it's, it's going to be frequently. cyclical. Like I said, it's going to be yeah. like the Iron Banner or what is it? The Queen's Bounty, if they still do that. Yeah. I don't they do anymore. I but, don't know if they do. Yeah, well, it was, it was very much a pre-Taken King story event, so I don't think it still works out. I'm sure they have something they're replacing it with. But like I said, I haven't played Taken King, so I couldn't tell you. But I, I was reading some, something today, actually. They were talking about how they've realized, you know, what's really working for Destiny and what isn't working for Destiny. And they really want to make Destiny into this platform for events. You know, you, you have the people who are going to play it Diablo style and just grind and do stuff sure. and get drops. But stuff like this, stuff like the Sparrow Racing League is what's going to get people to keep coming back to the game who aren't into that, you know, gear dropping, you know, shiny new objects <laughs> sort of Pavlovian response like most of us are as well, though. And if they can keep doing creative stuff like this outside of just shoot things, I think that the future for Destiny is very bright. Well, and I think in if you played in the Halloween event uh, this year, it was one of those things where every game out there has like a holiday event of some type. And Halloween is usually one of their, their go last year's Halloween event in destiny. Meh. This year's was a lot of fun specifically because there was a lot of random things going on that I had no clue what to do. And I sort of like that childlike wonder. So if they keep putting in cool events like Sparrow, Sparrow league racing, uh, and they go ahead and put like cool events that that like the Halloween event this year where there was a random ghost popular. And I don't mean like the little guy ghost. I mean, like an actual I was, like, was going to ask spirit or Peter Dinklage. I mean, like spirit popping around and teleporting around the tower and like literally bamfing like Nightcrawler. I still don't have an explanation for it. They haven't said anything. There's a ton of threads of speculation still about it. The audio engineering that they put into those events is phenomenal. They they know what they're about now, and that's good because it means that I'm still going to have content to come back to because I still am having a blast in Destiny of the Taken King. And stuff like this really solidifies that, yes, this is good for me. I want to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And next up, we had the latest release from Runic Games, which we were really excited about when it was shown off at PAX. Now we got to see a bit more of it here in Hob. <laughs> so funny story about that. So Hob... Uh, we've been talking about it for a while. Renee hasn't really been listening to the podcast. Shame on her. I remember seeing this on Twitter. (laughs) She exclaims to me that we absolutely 100% need to have Hob in the house. And my only response to her is like, I said that like six months ago. But yeah, the, the, the excitement that's being generated from this is phenomenal. The fact that it's going to be an exploration storytelling game is phenomenal. I have not seen anything about this that hasn't pleased me so far. But also at the same time, they haven't shown us much. They've shown us just enough. 
Yeah, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So they brought out uh, level five for their next presentation. And a lot of people were expecting Dark Cloud 3 because with the, what is it, the PS2 remasters that they've put onto PlayStation Network this week. The big, some of the big ones were Dark Cloud, Dark Cloud 2, and Rogue Galaxy, which if you haven't played it, play Rogue Galaxy. It was the best, well, let me phrase that. It was the second best PlayStation 2 JRPG behind Dragon Quest Eight. So everybody was expecting, you know, Dark Cloud 3 or something. Nobody was expecting Nino Kuni 2, Revenant Kingdom. Insert Roger saying, I did. No, he didn't. <laughs> Yeah. Go back into the olden days of the Internet Dragons, whoever those assholes were. Roger and I both played the shit out of Nino Kuni, the first one on PS3. It was developed by Level 5, but in conjunction with Studio Ghibli. So it used their art designs, it used their music designs, and it used their uh, actual Ghibli animation, which made the game gorgeous as hell. It was really fun to play. It had... Fun JRPG gameplay mixed with Pokemon. Like, I loved the game. I think I put a solid 75 hours into it. I didn't even finish. I was just like, okay, I've played enough. Like, I finished the main story, of course, but there was just so much other shit to do on top of it. Absolute blast with the game. Yeah, I actually got really, really excited at the announcement of this because I didn't play the original. Didn't have time, didn't have the the setup for it, didn't really have... You know, the PS3 was acting up, so it wasn't really something we could do. This has me really excited because I'm finally going to get to experience a game in that world. And that everything, it looks freaking gorgeous, at least so far. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. People have looked at who's involved with Nino Kuni 2, and you still have all the people from Level 5. You still have the art and music team from Studio Ghibli. But Studio Ghibli shut down their animation department earlier this year. So you're going to have the Ghibli style, but you're not going to have those gorgeous hand-drawn cinematics, or at least I don't think we are. That depends. It all depends on how they go about trying to, you know, I guess, continue on with the status quo. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, either way, I'm sure it's still going to be phenomenal. Uh, Absolutely. And I'll be playing the hell out of it. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was a huge surprise to me. I hadn't heard anything about this game. When, of all people, developers from Epic Games walked onto a Sony stage. Mm -hmm. Not something I thought I'd ever see because they have a very healthy partnership with Microsoft, courtesy of the Gears of War franchise, and showed off their new first-person MOBA, Paragon. Yep. Looks pretty fucking cool, I'll tell you that much. But we haven't seen a whole lot about it yet. Like they've they've really like they've announced it and they said that it was uh, not exactly a MOBA, but it it's was exactly take, a MOBA. But you it's look, exactly it, it a has MOBA. three lanes. It has creeps. It has towers. It's a MOBA. I have I have a feeling they're going to uh, very, very heavily be influenced by Smite because mm-hmm. what I'm seeing here seems to be kind of going that way. And I'm OK with that. Yeah, Smite was a cool game. Smite it still is a cool game. Yes. But I, I'm here's the thing. I love MOBAs. I love MOBA style games. I like anything that takes that genre and does it well. Uh, and this has that opportunity to really do that. I also like the fact that they're doing something that some MOBAs kind of shy away from, and that's there's melee champions. And that really excites me because in a game like that, melee champions are usually the hardest to play, but the most fun to play, at least for me. 
and some of the cool ninja flips of that weird cyber ninja chick is awesome. Just just cool as cool as all get out. Well, also, I think a melee hero would work a lot better in a first person game because you don't have that full 360 degree field of vision. You don't have to worry about hiding in the grass, waiting for somebody to walk by. You can just sneak up behind them because they don't have eyes in the back of their head. So I think yeah. a melee hero would work a lot better in uh, in this game, particularly compared to a lot of the other ones. Well, plus, and it looks like there's going to be um, some third party or third party third person view options available as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of cool for me because a lot of times they spend a lot of time uh, just beautifully animating the attacks and everything like that. And you never get to see them or at yeah. the very least, the special attacks seem like they're going to push you out to third person view uh i can't i don't remember what they called the guy with the giant shield but the fact that like he there's a scene where he leaps and it almost looks like a cinematic and then it flips over to what is very clearly in-game footage of him crashing down with the shield in the middle of combat and like mm-hmm. this big ripple of energy coming out i'm i'm colored intrigued as far as this goes i it's on my radar now and i'm going to be watching it and it may be something i pick up i don't know yet though yeah, I mean, it looks amazing. It seems fluid as hell. It's from a team that knows how to do multiplayer combat. Like, sure. Going back to Unreal Tournament, they know how to make games that play online really well. So I have no question that the combat is going to be fantastic. I believe it's supposed to be a traditional, traditional air quotes, free to play experience as well. I don't I don't know if I actually read anything on that. And I, I saw people mentioning it as part of the conversation about Battleborn, but I haven't seen any confirmation myself. So we'll see. Uh, going into that, there was a bunch of other cool stuff that was showed off. Tomorrow Children looks, and this was outside of the main keynote. This was, it was a weekend long event. <laughs> Poor Roger. I don't think he left his computer for about 48 hours straight. He was just watching this stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. off, uh, one of the games they showed off outside of the keynote was Tomorrow Children. Looks cool. I ain't playing it. These things freak me out. <laughs> yeah yeah i could see that <laughs> another game uh bound which is being shown off as one of those like narrative like as they even they even say it's a non-game experience but it's graphically gorgeous the character you play as is essentially a ballerina and they went and actually hired actual ballerinas to help them you know with the motion capture and whatnot so I, I, I don't know much about the narrative and the world, but your path through it at the very least is going to be a very interesting experience. I really like the uh, the art style that they chose to, to go with that sort of like uh, supercell shade uh, where it's just very it's very visually striking. And with them combined with the the ballerina motions combined with that fluidity of, of movement. It's just it's very visually striking. It's very engaging just from a pure aesthetic standpoint, uh, which is cool for me because that's that's something that'll keep me focused with shiny blinky lights. Mm-hmm. And then they also showed off this game called What Remains of Edith Finch. This is one of those, again, narratively focused games kind of in the in the thread of Gone Home. But when I looked at this, I went, huh. What if Gone Home was made by the people who made Binding of Isaac? Because <laughs> yep. that's what I got out of this game. <laughs> yeah, there's a I forgot what the other one was. There's a there's another game that's very I don't want to say similar, um, but I'm, I'm sort of liking that that darker style of gameplay experience. Uh, did you play uh, the park at all or was that just me and Roger? Uh, I did not. 
Okay. Uh, it's a very good game as far as if you like being creeped out. Uh, Is that the one we were talking about with the the amusement park? Yep. That's tied into Secret World? Yep. It does. It it is absolutely phenomenal as far as atmosphere goes. And stuff like this, where it's going to be a narrative-driven game, just like some of the ones we love the most, I'm really intrigued for that. And I'm kind of okay. Because what I'm seeing here, while we didn't get to see a whole lot, I'm super interested to see what's happening with this. Mm-hmm. And I love their visual presentation, like the uh, the introduction trailer uh, with the sort of projection uh, overlaid over a normal house. It really like I want to know what the hell's going on, man. Like, I'm super interested. It just looks weird as shit. Like I, where I mean, the, the whole point of the game is that you're reliving the deaths of all the members of your family going back generations. But in the most bizarre ways imaginable but i mean again this is a genre and a, a a narrative effect that has really gained a lot of traction and we're finally seeing a lot more creative developers stretching the boundaries of what they can do with it and the final thing i wanted to touch on was a great panel they had called the future of storytelling and the members of the panel were Corey barlog uh, from Sony Santa Monica, Geneva Chen for, from That Game Company, Kareem Etouni from Media Molecule, and Greg Kassavan from Supergiant Games. It was just these four guys sitting around chatting for 45 minutes. It was so cool. <laughs> yeah, and that, that really makes me happy. Like, I didn't get a chance to sit and watch that, which saddened the shit out of me. However, just those four people alone, just sitting down and talking about storytelling you have some really great just talent in that sort of aspect there. I can only imagine what they were talking about. Like Greg, Greg Kasavin alone. Like I've met the man, the man's just, he's, he operates on a different level when his, his own little world in his brain. Uh, He's just super, super cool. But like, I just, I wish I could have been there to find, to hear everything that was said off camera too. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there was some cool stuff like the two things really stood out to me specifically. Uh, first of all, they were talking about your uh, inspirations and the, the things that made you go the direction you want to go in with the games you developed. And specifically, Geneva Chen, who he was from, I, I think he's from China. And he said, you know, especially during the 80s, which was, you know, the era he grew up in, there was no voice acting. <laughs> Everything was text based and his English wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> so he had all these text heavy games that he couldn't personally experience that well. So now you look at the games that that game company puts out. I don't think there's ever been a single word of text in any of their games, you know, flower journey, that sort of stuff. They're 100% visual and audio experiences, which is very important too. Cause we, we talked about this a little bit. You don't necessarily have to have gobs of dialogue or written like boxes to read in order to have a good, solid story conveyed. They've proven that, and they do it incredibly well, and they do it in such a way that the games, despite not having vocalization or, or a ton of, like, dialogue, I guess, is just the best word for it, mm-hmm. there's still that interplay, there's still characterization, there's still development and growth, and there's still this wonderfully engaging story being told. Yeah, I'm all about that. It was also funny. He told a story about when he first came to America and went to a game store and looked on the shelf. And the three big games that were out at the time were Halo, Gears of War, and Madden Football. He's like, is this what America is? Just a bunch of muscly guys in armor? 
And then he made a game about clouds. <laughs> I'm okay with that. But then the, the second part that really stood out to me was at the end of the panel, the last kind of question they asked. And this was uh, mostly uh, spearheaded by Greg was what's the future of storytelling in games, which, hey, that's what the game panel was about. They finally got to it with five minutes left. They were just having so much fun sharing stories back and forth. And he really put into words something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially over the past couple months, and that we're seeing a huge divergence now between story, what's your game about, you know, what's your world building, and narrative. How is that story being told? And that's something we've seen quite a bit through Supergiant's own productions. You know, they said they, with Bastion, you know, they wanted to do this, you know, kind of Diablo-inspired uh, action RPG, but there were seven of them. So they didn't have, you know, the, the resources to, you know, do a game like Diablo. So they focused on this one character and his journey through the story, and that was their narrative. And you know, a bunch of their guys chimed in, but this tied in with what... Uh, we saw at the Game Awards this past week where her story won for best narrative. And a lot of people are like, oh, The Witcher had a better story. You know, Life is Strange, this and that. And I was like, but the award was for best narrative. And it was mm-hmm. how how that story was told that her story is by far the best narrative of the year. I agree. It didn't have the most in-depth story. It didn't have this, you know, books worth of encyclopedic, encyclopedic fantasy world building. But it told its story in such a unique way, it really made an impact. And that's what they got to here is you can do all the world building you want, but what's really important in modern day video games is how you're relaying that to your players. Yeah, and in, that's kind of an important thing. It's, it's an old saying, but it's one that uh, is always held true in every business I've been in and every just being a, a game master as well. It's one of the biggest pieces of advice I've ever been given for just even just running a game. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. That matters. There's truth in that as far as I'm concerned. Yep, definitely. So that's going to wrap up our experience here with PSX. It was again, a great show for the second year in a row. As we said, I'm really excited that they continue to do this. It gives us something to be excited about in the winter time in addition to just the piles of games we're already playing it gives us something to look forward to for the next year and beyond because square enix was there <laughs> so thank you for listening uh, you can find us online at forthelore.com you can find us on twitter at for the lore you can find our fallen brother roger at zen buddhist you can find joe himself at loader zj or myself at samodian and stay tuned because yeah, old vince is up to something All right, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.